Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills, in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. In today's program, we are studying the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 3. Here's Pastor Ryan. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Give me an amen once you are there. And Father, we are so grateful for your goodness in our life. Lord, that you would have mercy on us, that you would pour out your grace on us, that our eyes would be open to who you really are. You are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob. Your works and your wonders are known throughout history, throughout the world. And we acknowledge that you are the one true living God. There are no other gods but you. And Father, you've given us your word. You've given us your church. We are your bride, and we are precious in your sight. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts as we study your word that Holy Spirit, you would overflow in our hearts so that we can understand and be guided, that we can learn the lessons that you would have for us this morning, Lord. Pour out your grace, Lord. We acknowledge we can do nothing without you. So Lord, may this be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray and together we say, amen. All right, so as you know in our story, the Corinthian church is a church that's a blessed with the giftings of God as far as the spiritual gifts. Also in knowledge, uh, they are a church that Paul planted in his earlier missionary journey, and so he loves them very much. But this letter is a letter of correction. They are a a church uh, in a very unholy and ungodly city. It is a place of, of of, of, of great... Uh, reputation as far as humanism and the wisdom of man. Philosophers, it's, it's, it's Corinth and it's Athens, it's world-renowned, but also immorality. And what he's dealing with in these couple of chapters we've been in is the pettiness that they were kind of uh, looking down upon each other, puffing themselves up, sort of in spiritual pride. They were They were looking down on, uh, upon each other or, or looking uh, above others by their preferences of preachers. One said, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Apollos, another would say. I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ. And so there was this, this spiritual kind of prideness that the Lord is dealing with here. Jesus, our King, died so humbly on the cross for our sins. Did he not? They pierced his hands, his feet, and mocked him, spit on him, beat him. And he bore that cross for our sins. He suffered so we wouldn't have to suffer. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead for our justification. Our king is humble. We're told that he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. So our king did not save us so that we can use now Christianity as a means to puff ourselves up or to think that we're better than other people. If we've truly had an experience with the Lord, if we're true followers of Christ, then we wouldn't try to raise ourselves up 
above other people spiritually. I believe the more spiritual one is, the more humble they are, the more meek they are. And so this is what he's dealing with. It's really important because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And all of us in this room want the grace of God. That's the goodness of God. That's the strength of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, all of the things that you need for life and godliness. He gives it to the humble. But when we're prideful, he resists giving us those things. And so Christianity loses its fervency in our lives. And so uh, verse one says, and I brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? And that word carnal in the Greek is sarkikas, sarkikas, which means uh, pertaining to the flesh or under the control of the animal appetite governed by one's human nature. And so as Christians, we're called by the Lord to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, and we'll be able to overcome our sinful human nature. When one puts their faith in Jesus Christ, they are born again spiritually. Their spirit is redeemed. We are going to have everlasting life for that decision if it is true and we're following Christ. We are redeemed spiritually. But physically, while we're in these bodies, these tents, our flesh is not our friend. Our flesh wants to take over our mind. Our flesh wants us to live after ourselves rather for the king of kings. Our flesh is our enemy. Who can save us from this body of death, Paul said. He, then he answered his own question by saying, I thank God the Lord Jesus, right? And so they were being carnal. They weren't thinking spiritually or else they wouldn't try to one-up each other and think that they were somebody when we know all of us are nobodies. The only one that's a somebody is Jesus Christ. It says here, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? In other words, where there's envy, strife, and, and divisions among you, you're behaving like mere men, like mere men who don't know who Jesus is. Before we came to Christ, we were mere men and mere women, but we're not anymore. We have spiritual DNA that is everlasting. We are seated in the heavens. We are no longer of this world. We're in it, but not of it. And we're, our home is in heaven. And it's, things are going to get a lot more awesome as things get a lot worse here on the planet. But they were being fleshly or carnal, sarkikas in the Greek. And they were envious of each other. That word envy uh, in Webster's 1828, it, it means to feel uneasiness, mortification or discontent at the sight of superior excellence, reputation or happiness enjoyed by another, to repine at another's prosperity, 
to fret or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another and to hate him on that account. That's what they were doing. They were envious. They were jealous of each other, looking down upon each other for a perceived uh, um, privilege, if you will. There's a lot going on out there, a lot of sayings going out about privilege nowadays, right? The only one who's truly privileged are those who know Jesus Christ. And he's no respecter of persons, and he loves us all equally. And all of us can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We all come from Adam and Eve. Same parents. But envy. To desire someone else's blessing in a negative sense. To hate on them. To be bitter towards them. And that is what God is trying to, you know, get out of this church. Just don't be that. It is an oxymoron for us to envy others as Christians. Why? Because Jesus is so good to you. You are so special to him that all that you need for life and godliness is found in our king. You're not in need, and I'm not in need of anybody else's other stuff or position. We are in need of more Jesus. The Bible says that godliness plus contentment is great gain. Those who are jealous or envious, they have their eyes on people. They don't have their eyes on the Lord. They have their eyes inward upon themselves when they should have their eyes on Jesus Christ, who made himself of no reputation, who before he went to the cross gave us the commandment that we love one another as he has loved us. I think of John the Beloved who rested his head upon the Lord's chest, the disciple whom Jesus loved. You are the Christian and the disciple whom Jesus loves. And if you know that without a fact, you'll be content. You don't need other people's stuff. And you certainly don't need to be like the world or about the world stuff. The world has nothing for you because in Christ, you have everything that you need for life and godliness. He is your joy. He is your strength. You cannot wait to praise him. You cannot wait to celebrate him. You cannot wait to come to church. You cannot wait to be amongst his people. And what they were doing was, was basically carnal and fleshly. This is something that we, we all, you know, any basic uh, good uh, child-loving parent will teach their children not to be jealous or envious, especially within the church. I love what the teachers do here, and I love what they do with our kids. They teach the kids that in Christ, there's contentment. Everything that you need, mijo and mija, is found in Jesus Christ. Be happy when your friends get blessed, whatever the occasion is, whatever. You know, be Rejoice with those who rejoice, the Bible says. Because in Christ, we're content, and we know that Soon our day will come. Whatever you're praying for, whatever you're, you're, you're seeking to, to be that thing that will bless you as you walk with the Lord. And if it is his will, you shall receive it. But they were carnal because they weren't walking in the spirit. And I want to go to Galatians 5. It's always a good reminder. Let's go there to review what it means to walk in the spirit versus to be carnal. In Galatians 5, beginning with verse 16, and give me an amen once you are there. 
I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so there it is. There's the explanation. If you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The key to contentment, the key to faith, hope, and love, and spiritual growth is to daily, moment by moment, walk with your King, Jesus. To not let up, to not take breaks, but to always, like Paul said, pray without ceasing. Like Jesus said that he desired, or Luke said that Jesus said, that he desired that men pray everywhere and that they would not lose heart. So people begin to lose heart concerning their faith in Christ when they stop praying. And so to walk in the Spirit is to live a moment-by-moment dependency on God, praying to Him. As Jesus said, if you abide, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him shall bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. So it's in this daily, constant praying meditation, going about our day, all that you do throughout your day, no matter what you're doing, whether cleaning the house, whether going to work, whether dropping off the kids, no matter what you're doing, loving your family, loving your friends, do all for the glory of God and you will walk in the Spirit. It's all for His glory. Your mind and your heart never disconnected from the consciousness that God is with you. That's walking in the Spirit. Then when you want to, or I want to say something dumb, Holy Spirit is just in us to prevent that. Amen? In Galatians 5, that same chapter, verse 19 through 27, or through 21, it says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, uh, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, which is drugs, psychedelic drugs. But let me tell you that when it says adultery or fornication, it's not just the action of it. As Jesus said, I tell you that if you look at a woman to lust after her in your heart, you have committed adultery. So God goes in the heart, in the thought life. And as we walk in the spirit, we take those thoughts captive because everyone in this room and everyone in the world, thoughts come in that are just terrible because of the flesh and the world. But Christians can take those thoughts captive and say, no, nah, I'm not going to think about that. That's wicked. No, nah, I'm not going to think about that. That's ungodly. No, that you know what I mean? So we take those thoughts captive as we pray and we meditate on God's word. Lord, take that thought away from me. That's how deep walking in the spirit cleanses us and guards us and protects us. That it's even the thought life that it takes care of us. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, uh, uh, Sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbirths of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, here it is, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So what's the key to not envying or being jealous? It's love God, walk in the Spirit, and you're going to have love. That list of the works of the flesh... I mean, you can look at that and, and be honest with yourself. Say, man, I, I have to deal with those areas in my marriage, in my home, with my kids. To be honest and say, Lord, help me not be this anymore. This is my flesh right here. I see that that's in me, Lord. Take it from me. Holy Spirit, strengthen me. And you get to practice at home to be kind to be loving, to be joyful, to be peaceful, right? So the Corinthian church, don't be conceited, don't be puffed up, don't envy one another, but they are to love one another. It says here, for where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? And so, Strife, envy, strife, and divisions. I just want to reiterate that not all division is bad. Not all division is bad. Especially nowadays. The left out there, the world out there, they preach tolerance, right? I mean, they are passing bills to uh, minimize the sentences of murderers and rapists. That's your Democrat party. And if you say not to be political, you know, you can tell by my actions. The Antichrist is going to be a politician. I'm sure all denominations can agree with that. He's not going to be a plumber. <laughs> and the way you gain control in this world is through politics, right? Amen. And what's happening in our country is a shame with the banks, with the immorality. It's a circus. But it isn't just the United States. It's the world. It's manifesting here because it's a world system that they're trying to um, create. And we as believers need to stand strong in the truth of the Lord. Not all division is bad is what I was saying. Not all division is bad. Paul would tell Titus in chapter 3, verse 10 of the book of Titus, reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. In Romans 6, 17, he, or 16, 17, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Understand that the word of God and our king, that word, it cuts both ways. We are to be forgiving. We are to be uh, edifying one another. And there's a difference between someone causing division in the church. The kind of division they were dealing with was petty. It was like, I'm better than you are. My bike is better than your bike. Literally kid stuff. 
that is easier to deal with than someone who's causing division. That's someone who is causing division amongst the brethren where we know that there are seven things that the Lord hates and one of them is he who sows discord among the brethren. So we're to protect that and there's right division and wrong division. Amen? And I'm not talking math. There is right division and there's wrong division. I fed you with milk, he said in verse two, and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. They needed to mature. And as I was meditating on this, I was thinking of yesterday at the men's breakfast. We had an incredible turnout. It was unbelievable. About 30 of us were there. We were discussing the contrasts and the similarities between King Saul, first king of Israel, and King David, the second king of, of Israel. We know that Jesus Christ comes from the lineage of King David. Jesus is the son of David. But they, they, they had similarities and they had major contrasts. In the beginning of their lives, they had similarities. King Saul was called of the Lord. And God promised King Saul that if you do well, if you obey me, I will bless the kingdom. I will bless you. No one can come against you. And he said the same thing to King David. If you honor me, if you obey my word, nothing can come against you. I will bless the kingdom for your sake, yada, yada, yada. Those were the things they had in common. But then one continued strong, King David, while Saul fell away. And Saul notoriously fell away because of a lack of obedience. He, he didn't continue to grow in the Lord. He, his growth stopped and he was not, no, no longer obedient. He had the same kind of flowery Christianese speech where he would say, you know, bless you of the Lord and such and such, but he wasn't obedient to the Lord. And so his life spiritually stopped and God sent an evil spirit to him to top it off. So we were talking about this, and I, and I thought, you know, that us men agreed that in order to mature as Christians, we have to obey the Lord. We have to first obey the Lord. Some people think that maturity in, in Christianity is how much scripture you've memorized, how many ministries you do. That's not maturity. Maturity is obedience to the Lord. Turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 15, please. 1 Samuel chapter 15. It's before, it's before 1 and 2 Kings, the front of your Bible. And give me an amen once you're there. A little backdrop to the story, the Amalekites. King Saul was and the armies of Israel were to destroy the Amalekites for their wickedness. God said to utterly annihilate them. Don't bring nothing back. None of the, none of the normal, you know, uh, spoils of war. Destroy it all. And so Samuel the prophet goes to meet King Saul as he's coming back from the battle. Verse 13. Then Samuel went to Saul. And Saul said to him, listen to this, this language here. Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of 
the oxen which I hear. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 8.30 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. We don't.